Can you hear me okay? Fantastic. Uh, well, welcome to Christmas Eve at La Jolla Community Church. My name is Steve Murray, and this is all original music tonight, so you'll never have heard this before, and we're glad that you're the first people to ever hear these tunes, and uh, what a joy to have you here. Uh, I want to welcome you, but also, really, I am in charge of the live fire demonstration, uh, which is this candle. This is one of the most important things that we will do so that you will get out of here without wax all over your clothing uh, or any uh, of your fingers. So we are going to be ending the, the, concluding the worship service uh, by singing Silent Night. And while we're doing that, we'll be lighting these candles. And so here is the secret. I'm giving you the secret tip so that if anybody asks you later this week how you light a candle at a Christmas Eve service, this is the insider's scoop. I'm going to light the candle, and then once the candle is lit, you never, ever move it from this position. You will not be doing your friends a favor by going, I'll light yours for you. No, really, I can do that. Um, uh, so you just, once your candle is lit, just keep it like that. And if somebody else needs to light the candle, you, you kindly just extend it like this and let them light theirs from it, okay? Can we all practice that? So if you, if you, have, an, an unlit, if you have a lit candle, what do you do with it? Let me, let's correct the, see the correct posture here. Perfect, okay. And then when you want to um, light your candle, what do you do? You go like this. Nicely done. Well, this is a treat because we're here to worship uh, Jesus Christ. He says that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he's among them. And so you can be sure that he's here with us tonight. Uh, and there's been a lot of planning, as you can see, uh, to make this birthday party for Jesus possible. And if you're not used to this, uh, hopefully you'll figure out what's going on as you go through the evening. For most of you, you're familiar with this, and hopefully this is going to rekindle a lot of great memories uh, from your past, from your family of origin, from other uh, seasons in your life. The most important thing, though, is that this is real time. We're worshiping Him and celebrating Him in real time. So no matter where you've been in your past, the most important thing we want you to know is right now, He is here, and He's inviting you uh, to hear about His love for you. He's inviting you to open your heart and your mind to him, perhaps for the first time or maybe yet again. Uh, all of that and more. And so let me just simply start with an acknowledgement that he's here with us. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We recognize your presence here by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this incredible historic event that we get to celebrate tonight, for all the creativity uh, for ages past, for people uh, telling these, this incredible story, the greatest story ever told, creating music to help us celebrate it, creating foods and traditions to help us imagine it in a, in a wonderful, creative way. So we commit ourselves to you, praying that everything we say and do would honor and glorify you and bless each one in this room. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Christmas Eve worship service.
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken off the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Luke 2, 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is one who has been born King of the Jews? When we saw his star and it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When we had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked him where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are by no means among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route.
Let's take a moment and greet your neighbor. Tell him Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right. Well, you never again want to be the guy that cuts down the uh, fellowship and conversation. So we are so glad uh, that you just enjoyed meeting your neighbor. And if you didn't, well, we're glad they sat next to you for the greatest service that you're going to have all year. Uh, but I just want to welcome all of you in here, as well as uh, those of you, I think, that are outside that I know are probably feeling pretty warm uh, right now. So would you just say hi to everyone outside? Say hi. Yeah, there we go. Now they feel welcome. Well, we are so blessed that you are here, and welcome to the Christmas Eve candlelight service at La Jolla Community Church. I know that you've been blessed already by the incredible music that we've had, and in just a few moments to talk through the Christmas story, and can we just thank our youth who have come up here and uh, been reading the Christmas story to us? Um, yeah, that's just a lot of fun, and we love having this be just a family service. And I just want to uh, speak to those of you who have children in here. I just want to tell you something. Please don't panic. Don't worry if your child screams or is singing along with the music. Uh, I've got two young ones with me, so I know that there is uh, uh, sometimes this frantic spirit of, shh, be quiet, don't talk. Uh, that's okay. We are trained pastors who will talk through anything. So you cannot do anything to distract us, and Pastor Steve will do the same thing. Uh, we want you to enjoy this service, and if you don't have children, uh, I know you're going to enjoy the service, so you're going to be stress-free stress the entire time, but we are so happy that you've joined us, whether this is your first time or whether you've been a part of this church for a long time, we're going to have an incredible night uh, together. Uh, and for parents, if you didn't get a chance yet to grab one of the packets, it's got some fun stuff to keep you busy, I mean your children busy. Uh, those are just in the foyer on your way out there, as well as if you just need to take a break or to get out. If you go out the foyer down the last room on your right there, there's a family room that you can go and retreat in there, uh, the services in there, so you won't miss a beat. Also, we would like to just take the opportunity to invite you back. Uh, coming up January, we've got one more message uh, that we're going to be doing, but in January, we're going to start a brand new series called What's New? And it's on the back of your bulletin, and we're going to be exploring our identity in Christ and dealing with four areas, identity, heart, mind, and life. So it's going to be a great series. We just want to invite you in on. We meet here Sundays at 9 o'clock and 1045, identical services, great music, great message. We'd love to just invite you back on that. Uh, well, right now, as we invite our ushers to come forward, we're going to receive our offering, and I just want to make this clear. If this is your first time here, or this is in your church home, uh, please do not feel obligated to give, though if you've been in any church, no pastor will ever tell you we don't want your money. Uh, but we want to make sure, this is if you call this your church home, uh, we just want to receive this now, a part of our continued worship in what we do for the Lord. So uh, I'm going to pray right now as we continue on in our service. So would you bow your heads uh, with me, and let's once again come uh, to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the joy and singing of what the Christmas season all about, and that is your Son coming to us. 
And Father, we celebrate with joy and enthusiasm and excitement and great anticipation as it is Christmas Eve, and we look forward to Christmas Day in the morning and all that it is for the joy and being together in this celebration. But most importantly, Father, we celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we continue reading through the Christmas story and sharing more carols and songs together, Father, would we just focus in on you? Maybe there's been distractions or maybe Christmas is a season that is difficult for some, joyous for others. No matter how we come, one thing we can agree upon, that we are thankful that Jesus came. We're thankful for what this time celebrates. We look forward to what uh, this time points us to, you coming to earth. So we give and we sing and we praise you. And we give this night to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, you know, it's such a fantastic thing, uh, gathering together with family and friends and getting ready for Christmas. But you know, it's also stressful, right? And, and what's the most stressful thing about Christmas? And I, I, don't say anything out loud. I don't want you to embarrass your family. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think gift giving is, is the most stressful thing about, about Christmas. What to give, what not to give, who do you give it to. And so I, I'm going to give you three simple uh, points in this Christmas message. And the first one being gift giving can be tricky. Can we all agree on that? Uh, just ask the ad people at Peloton. Did, did you follow that? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't believe the, the pushback on that. That, that on behalf of women everywhere, women everywhere were offended, uh, except for the woman who actually was in the ad. She said, I thought it was kind of neat, actually, but it was, I think it was, she said, I think it was my face. I, think, I don't think it was your face. I think it was everybody's experience with bad gifts. Uh, any guy here who is thinking that tomorrow morning you're going to be giving a gift to your wife from Home Depot, I want you to rethink it right now. I just, <laughs> even if you got the extra battery pack, it's not going to go over. I just want you to know that right now. Uh, so, gift giving can be tricky, and so I'm going to get personal now. Uh, have you ever given a gift that wasn't received well? Don't suck. Again, not out loud. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you looking at the guy next to you going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you remember that. But have you ever uh, given a gift that wasn't received well? And, and more importantly, have you ever received a gift uh, that wasn't received well? So, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story from my life, and um, it's, it's serious, actually. I, I gave my mom a Bible one Christmas thinking it would inspire her. I gave my mom a Bible. Now, I, I am 17 years old. Uh, I'm a new follower of Jesus. I'm a new Christian. Uh, I'm a senior in high school. I was loving reading the Bible, and I hoped she would, too. In fact, uh, my Bible, my paperback Bible that said good news on the cover, was the only Bible in our house. And I thought, okay, uh, this is going to be really a great gift to give my mom. And... Um, it said good news on the cover, and it was good news to me, for sure. Uh, for me, it was like uh, reading, it was like eating from a feast. Uh, it was like uh, finding an oasis. It was like catching the perfect wave. Uh, for me, reading that Bible was uh, an eye-opener. Uh, having grown up uh, in a Catholic church and the Protestant church, but my parents would argue about religion, so they'd never actually go to church. They just argued about church. And so nobody ever really talked about the Bible, and so I thought... Uh, somebody around here needs to be open-minded enough to read it so that I can really tell you why I don't believe in it. But in the process of reading it, it captured my imagination. And so me and my friends started talking about it at lunchtime at school. Not believers of Jesus, but just talking about the Bible and, and how interesting it was and why hadn't anybody ever told us this. And, and so that's how the conversation went. And so for me, it was absolutely good news. But I hadn't considered how my mother would receive it. I hadn't considered how my mom would receive it, and uh, as it turned out, it hurt her feelings. And so my good news was, was her bad news. Uh, for her, uh, this gift felt like a judgment, a, a message to get her act together. Mom, you need this. Uh, and so my gift left her feeling burdened with yet another list of expectations to fulfill. She put a lot of expectations on herself to always do the right thing in the right way. So she was a super moral person, a super highly principled person, in fact, as a little kid, um, she, would, she would tell me about God. She taught me to say prayers, and, and so uh, that's how I got the idea that, you know, she'd really like this. Uh, but then I thought about it later. You know, one, at one point, I was about five, and, and I, I was just kind of trying to be on the, being edgy. You know how five-year-olds can be edgy? I was kind of going five-year-old edgy, 
And so nonchalantly, I said to my mom, you know, Mom, I don't think I believe in God anymore. How I had that in my mind, I have no idea. I, I think it was just after I told her I would never smoke. It was something like that. But it, the edgiest things I could think of this is what I said. And she, being this proper British woman who grew up living across the street from Christchurch School in Liverpool, she said, oh, Stephen, you, you must believe in God. You must believe in God. I said, do you believe in God? And if you do, why do you believe in God? That's out of a five-year-old's mouth. And again, I think I was just trying to be edgy. I'd probably heard some kids say they didn't believe in God or something like that. And she was quiet. She didn't say anything. And I think she was thinking, oh, I have no idea how to answer this. Um, but I should tell you that my mom was not picky about gifts from her kids. So I'm the eldest of five kids. And you can imagine for five kids the kind of gifts you get as a mom. Uh, they started out as oranges with cloves stuck in them and a little ribbon tied around it. Every mother lives for that. Uh, it, it, it moved into a little bit more rarefied, uh, artsy kinds of things, you know, paper mache things with pins in it that you could wear as a brooch. Very elegant, I'm sure. Then as we started to get some serious cash, you know, say about fourth, fifth grade, we could buy perfume at the drugstore. High-end stuff. Chanel number 32 or something like that. I don't know what they had then at that time. And then chocolate with an expiration date of decades, you know. And so she was not picky about gifts from her kids. Whenever we asked her what she wanted, she would simply say this, your love is the best gift. Isn't that great? Perfect mom response. Knowing that, hey, it's hopeless. Even if I ask for something, I'm not going to get anything worth getting. But it's going to come with a lot of love, right? And a lot of fingerprints on it. And so she would love whatever we gave her, handmade or store-bought. And that's when I learned how tricky giving gifts can be. Because now as a 17-year-old, having grown up in this family where there's a lot of disruption, a lot of conflict, and my mom feeling like it was not supposed to be this way, that when I gave her that Bible, uh, it was like a, it pierced her heart. But not the way that I hoped it would. I, I wanted it to fill her heart. But she took it as something that would pierce her heart. But in giving that gift, my thinking was, God's love is the best gift of all, isn't it? This is my big new awareness as a, as a brand new 17-year-old believer in Jesus. That this is the greatest gift that God's ever given us. And why isn't everybody talking about it? And as I said, as a kid, she had told me about God's love. And, and to, to, to the degree that she not only told me about it, she had demonstrated God's love perfectly in so many ways. She was an awesome mom. And so it couldn't have been worse had I given her a Peloton bike, if such a thing was even possible back then. This would have been the same kind of a thing, slap in the face. Hey, here's your Peloton bike, you know. Um, I hope you enjoy it. And so it was a well-intended gift, but I didn't know that she'd given up on God's love. And, and as this enthusiastic 17-year-old with my, my not much of a filter, as I started talking to so many people, so many adults, I'd say, hey, how come you haven't told me about this? And have you read this? And, and I made so many people inappropriately socially uncomfortable by asking these awkward questions of all these adults that I thought so highly of. Because I, I thought, certainly, uh, this is something that you must have really, really uh, taken to heart. And of course, the fact was, No that most every adult I met, and maybe I just met some odd adults. Um, at that point, all adults were odd. But they were the people who had given up on God's love. 
And if they had a faith, it was very remote. It was very traditional. It was very much a Christmas and Easter. It's part of our family heritage, etc. And And so it was best left unaddressed. And here I was, stirred up by this, wondering why, why anybody hadn't actually said, this is the most important thing a human being could possess. And eventually I met people who, who did embrace that. And, and they became role models and mentors to me. Uh, and, and of course, it changed my whole worldview, getting to know these people who embodied this belief in Jesus. And whether they were phenomenal surgeons or great attorneys or teaching preschool or awesome athletes or artists or business people, what they had in common was this love for Christ. And it didn't make them weird. It made them alive. And that was so attractive to me. But for my mom, I'd failed to see that she needed assurance of my love in order to see God. Because as a 17-year-old now, I was old enough to be critical and realizing that this was a very, very disrupted situation that I was living in. Why wouldn't you embrace Christ in the face of this? So really, that, as only a teenager can, that innocent, well-intended gesture of, hey, there's got to be a better way, and I think this is it, became a, a, a really tough barrier to overcome. And so I failed to see that she needed assurance of my love. I wasn't judging her. I was saying, Mom, this is really, really good. I think it can help. It reminds me of a story of a little kid who wakes up in the middle of the night, scared to death because of a, of a, of a nightmare, and they're crying out uh, to their mom and dad. And, and the dad comes in, this little boy is sitting in bed, uh, you know, shaken, and the dad says, son, how are you? I had a bad dream, and, and, and I think it was a monster in the closet. And, 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 and the dad said, well, you know, Jesus is always with you. And, and the little boy said, daddy, I know, but I needed love with skin on it. And what my mom needed was love with skin on it. We all need love with skin on it. We need to experience love in order to believe it. She was great at giving it, but I think had given up the fact that there was a God who was at the source of it. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're doing your very best to live an awesome life, to get it right, to do it right, to provide for the people under your care. But there's a nagging sense in you that I don't know that there's anything more than me and my best efforts here. And maybe it offends you that people would suggest that there's a God who loves you so much, who went to such efforts to make that love known to you, that it could change everything about you. Maybe you've, you've dipped your toe in that and it didn't see much effect. Or maybe you've seen some people abuse that and distort that, and you've said, I, I, I don't need that. That was, certainly was me and my family. And so looking back, I should have written a note telling my mom how much I loved her. And how she reminded me of Jesus, the way she loved me unconditionally, because she really did. That's probably why when I started reading the, the Bible for the first time, some of it resonated with me because I thought, I get this, this unconditional love thing. My mom does that. It would have been a better first step toward giving her the Bible written for her. Do you know that the Bible was written for you? It was written for you. It wasn't written against you. Most of us have this idea that the Bible was written against us. It's the world's longest, oldest indictment of all the things wrong with you. Instead of the longest love letter ever composed. Love leaks out of the Bible. Yes, justice and righteousness. God's high standards. 
but underneath it and around it all is his love. This is the powerful thing that, that swept in, in my mind and my heart and blew me away as, as a young person. I should have said, Mom, reading this book about God's unconditional love and sacrifice reminds me of you. Thanks for the gift of love and sacrifice you are to me. Merry Christmas, love, Stephen. I wish I'd done that because I think that probably would have caused her to say, oh, oh, this isn't an accusation. This is an acknowledgement of a God who um, wants to help us get it right. And so by God's grace, I eventually was able to have that conversation with her. She didn't feel worthy of it. Uh, but as she saw me and my friends growing in our faith and all these interesting people God was bringing into my life, uh, she would make these funny comments about, you know, how your wild, long-haired, crazy friends come over here, and yet they're such wonderful people. And I would kids say, well, because they're all high. No, I'd say, Mom, that's because they're high on Christ. They're alive in Christ. That's what you're seeing in these kids. So all the looks that you'd say, oh, those kids are scary looking. No, you're seeing something that is so powerful in them that they can't claim it. They can only enjoy it. And so we got to have those conversations uh, for me as a young adult. Say, Mom, this is what it is. This is what it means. And so by then she was ready and she was interested and, and uh, wonders of his love. Um, the, the untimely gift of a Bible was replaced by a much more timely and poignant conversation about what the Bible said. I love that phrase from the hymn, wonders of his love. And by the way, the wonders of his love is you don't need to wonder about his love for you. Wonders of his love means that you don't have to wonder about his love for you. And you might be a person sitting here saying, well, he should love me. I'm so awesome. Okay, God bless you. Congratulations on that. Check with the people you live with and see if they can ratify that. You know, um, have them sign off and get it notarized. I'd love to see it, you know. Probably more often, though, we think, you know what, um, I don't know, if, I just wonder if God would love me at all. I wonder if there's a God, and if he does, why would he love me? Could he get past me to love me? And the, and the fact is, the wonder of his love is yes, he can. So that, the first point, giving a gift can be tricky. The second point is this, I've come to understand that God is an awesome gift giver. God is an awesome gift giver. Much to his popular reputation, he loves giving us gifts. He came into the world personally to demonstrate his love for us. And long before he came into the world, he was communicating his love through prophets and other people, talking about his love, calling the people to embrace his love and to walk in it. And the story we read tonight, heard read tonight, is a culmination and fulfillment of that love. And there's way more detail to the story. Some of you were very, very knowledgeable about that story. And you're saying, yeah, I know. Wow. What a story. Others of you are saying, uh, I'm not so sure. And so I would invite you to pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. One of the greatest philosophers of his day, uh, Augustine, a phenomenal orator and philosopher, a very powerful, persuasive person, found that in spite of all of his gifts and his accomplishments, he was just empty inside. He was frustrated. Relationships were difficult. He found he was objectifying people and using people. But he had a mom constantly praying for him. And one day it says uh, that he was out in a garden just wrestling with this stuff. Because he kept hearing about Jesus and he thought, this is ridiculous. But why is it getting under my skin? And he heard this sing-song voice out in the garden adjacent to his house. 
And, and the sing song, like a child singing a nursery rhyme kind of a song. Tole lege, tole lege, tole lege. Latin for pick it up and read it, pick it up and read, pick it up and read. And he thought, okay, maybe this is a crazy message from God. So he picked up the Bible and started reading it. And of course, it changed his life. Of course, we know that because of Augustine's influence, it changed uh, the history of the world. Augustine still looms large as a giant of profound thinking and integration of, of culture and life and art and philosophy and literature. And of course, all that integrated in a living, life-changing faith in Christ. And so the story we heard read is the culmination and fulfillment of that love. I've learned that gift-giving requires thoughtful attention and creative insight. God demonstrated this in Jesus. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows you better than you know you. I can tell you that also, he likes you better than you like you. He's more patient with you than you are with you. He's more accepting of you than you are with you. You might find it a bit presumptuous that I'm saying this, and I might not even know you. It's just that I know this about him, and so I know this about you. And so he loves giving us what we need if we're willing to receive it. If we're willing to receive it. How do you know what people really want or need when it comes to giving gifts? How do you know what people really want or need? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, look at them and listen to them. If we look carefully at the people around us and listen carefully to them, we'll understand what they want and what they need. Certainly, we can get their confirmation on that. But if you're a parent, listening to your kids. If you're a person in the marketplace, listening to your coworkers. If you're a person working out with your friends and just listening to them and looking at them closely, you'll understand what they want and what they need. To the point that if somebody were to walk up to you and say, hey, I know you know so-and-so. Crazy question, but do you know what they want in life and do you know what they need? You'd probably say, I don't think, well, yeah, I guess I do know. I've been listening to them and looking at them, and I can tell you, I think this is what they need and what they want. Research reinforces this. Research, uh, hard data research, shows that most people are appreciating receiving what they ask for. Uh, excuse me, women, while I talk to the guys here for just a moment. Uh, I hate to stereotype anybody, but with guys, I'm very comfortable doing that. Just say, what is it that you really want? This. Would you be willing to buy it and wrap it and present it to me so that I can give it to you? It doesn't sound very romantic or, 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 or elegant, but I guarantee it will solve a lot of problems in a hurry if you do that. Because research shows that most people appreciate receiving what they actually want. But sometimes we don't really know what we want, do we? We don't really know what we need. We need help. So let me describe the hope for outcome for gift giving and receiving. You or somebody you know and love will open that special gift. They'll look lovingly at you, the gift giver, or you'll look at them, the gift giver, and you'll say, it's perfect, how did you know? It's perfect, how did you know? And the gift giver will simply smile knowingly and say, I'm so happy you like it. What's unsaid is this, they knew what you needed and would want because they know you, because they know us, they've been paying attention. 
and I hate to, again, fall into a stereotype on this, but often it's women that know this more than men. Women usually know the names of their children's teachers. The guys are wondering if this kid still goes to school. Again, a stereotype. Unfortunately, it keeps sticking for some reason. So some gifts are truly life-changing and leave you in awe and wonder, right? You don't value them until you finally recognize them as the gift they are. The love of parents, the love of siblings, the love of grandparents, the love of aunts and uncles, all of you who represent those relationships, what a gift you're giving the people in your life. For you moms and dads who are loving those children, for you grandparents who are loving those children, aunts and uncles, family members and friends, oh my gosh. How about the guidance of teachers and mentors and coaches? What a gift. That little Bible that I had was the only one in my home, was given to one of my brothers by his baseball coach, and it sat there alone, forlorn, neglected in our house until I was curious enough to read it. Some guy coaching youth baseball gave that gift to the kids, and that found its way into my hands. What a gift that was. So God's love in Jesus is a gift we truly need to live the life we're created for. That's the whole point of this evening, right? It's the rarest of gifts because everybody can receive it, and it feels bespoke. Perhaps you know that term, perhaps you don't. Having started life in Great Britain, bespoke is the best kind of everything. Bespoke means it was made custom for you. A bespoke suit, a bespoke shirt, bespoke shoes, whatever it is that's bespoke. It's getting what you need and want, and it fits perfectly. No algorithm can do that. It comes directly from the heart of God to your heart. That's how this faith works. It's a bespoke faith. It's open and available to everybody, but God immediately customizes it to us. What do you need? Where will I start with you in this journey of developing you into the person you were meant to be? You don't have to be anybody else but you in Him. So it moves us to say, it's perfect. How did you know? And God just smiles. Because I made you and I gave myself for you. That's how I know. That's why we've gathered here tonight in Jesus' honor. He's the focus of our attention. Why? Because we are the focus of His. He's the focus of our attention tonight because we are the focus of His attention. And because of that, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I'm not being sentimental, or I'm not romanticizing faith, but when I look at you, I see Jesus. Not because you're perfect, but because he's perfect for you. Let that sink in. When I look at you, I see Jesus. Jesus comes to mind, not because you're so perfect, but because he is perfect for you. And so that's my third point. Jesus is God's perfect gift because he brings God's very best to you if you'll receive it. I see it in you. I see that God is at work in you overcoming sin and fear and lack of faith. Skepticism, hurt, hardness of heart, confusion. Who could possibly be right about something so big? And so when I look at you, I see someone whom Jesus loves and for whom Jesus died. I see someone wanting to believe that what we celebrate tonight includes them. I see someone who perhaps doubts whether God has room for them in his house. When I look at you, I see someone who's wrestling with their doubts about their need for God. I see someone who's experienced God's grace and is blown away by it. 
I see someone who's willing to go against the grain of this world by standing up and stepping out with God. When I look at you, I see someone who has the capacity to meet some of the world's biggest needs. Some of you in this room, given your, your, your networking and your leverage, the resources at your command can change not just a person's life or a community's life. You can change communities and even cultures. Some of you sitting here have that capacity. Some of you sitting here will have that capacity. I don't know what these four kids are going to grow up to be. My prayer and hope is that they grow up to be everything Christ wants them to be. When I look at you, I see someone who's learning to go the extra mile in loving and living like Jesus. I see someone who will be the tangible presence of Jesus in someone else's life. When I look at you, I see someone with big hopes and dreams, ready to serve God and bless people in his name. I see someone facing challenges and wondering if God is with you in the thick of it. I see someone who has done everything right and wondering, well, where did it go wrong? Was it me? And if so, was it worth doing what I thought God wanted me to do? Maybe that's you tonight. When I look at you, I see someone for whom God moved heaven and earth making it possible for you to see him by the light of his glorious kingdom expressed in Jesus Christ. I look at you and I see Jesus giving you the gifts that you need to thrive wherever you are in your life. I'm not saying if you do this, then you could do that. I'm saying right now, this is who he is to you. So my prayer for you this Christmas is that you would see you as Jesus sees you. That you would start to see you as Jesus sees you. That might be the scariest journey you've ever taken, but I guarantee it will in fact be the best. Some of you know that because you're in the middle of that. Some of you have just started that journey. Some of you are at the end of a lifetime in that journey. Others of you are saying, yeah, I know, but I don't know. You don't need to know. He knows. Trust him. What a gift. Receive it in faith. Unwrap it. Try it on. Live it up. It's yours now and always, forever and ever and ever. Amen. So Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift you have given us in Christ. Thank you for knowing just what we needed, just when we needed it. And Lord, I pray that you would cut through all those things that so easily entangle us and distract us and hold us back from opening our hearts and our minds to you. The hurts, the fears, sometimes the pride. And Lord, perhaps for the first time ever, we would have this amazing and overwhelming sense that you are who you say you are and that you really love us the way you say you do. So we thank you for this occasion to gather together in your name, to worship you with family and friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining this
Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you like your face is shining right now, reflecting his glory both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. And to you and yours, have a most wonderful, joyful, blessed Christmas. God bless you.